Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. downtown church is that it's a church where you can come as you are 
You come as you are, I come as I am, we come as we are. And I don't know about you, but I come with some shortcomings. Got a little sin with me. Got a little gaps and deficiencies with me. And I love the fact that this is a space where we can communally together confess our sins and thank God for forgiveness. So please join with me now in our prayer of confession. God, you are the creator, our creator. We are what you made us. Regardless of who we are or how we are, you made us. We are made with beauty and wonder. We look in the mirror, we are looking at God's creation. But we must admit we don't always appreciate this. We choose to be critical of self instead of offering ourselves understanding. We judge ourselves without extending compassion. We compare who we are and how we are to others like we like to exchange parts to improve what you already made to your glory. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. And now hear our silent prayer. forgiven. God's grace is available. God's mercy is everlasting. Through Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Now go, love, forgive, be at peace with God and each other. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter sent to the early church. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear now God's word to us. You were dead through your trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work amongst those who are disobedient. 
All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. It is not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of God to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank God it's warm out tonight. Thank God it's warm out tonight. I heard these words from an exhausted but joyful nurse at 2 a.m. in the parking lot of Rex Hospital. I was the chaplain intern. 30 minutes earlier, I was sleeping on this old twin bed tucked behind an office. This served as my home base during my weekly overnight on-call shifts. And just as I was getting comfortable enough to go to sleep, my pager and my phone went off simultaneously, and they jolted me awake. And it's one of those ringtones that still comes up in your nightmares, if y'all know what I'm talking about. And the pager read, Code one. I'm rubbing my eyes and trying to wake up, but I was confused because in my months at the hospital, I'd never seen a code one. I'd seen code stroke, code stimmy, code blue. These I knew. And I was slowly getting comfortable with learning how to walk into these spaces of crisis. But still half asleep as to what I was being called to respond to, I turned off the pager and I picked up the phone. And this nurse said frantically to me, code one in the women's center parking lot. I said, okay, what does that mean? She repeated, code one, emergency delivery. And the chaplain's sleep room was right next to the women's center. So this meant that I, a 24-year-old seminary student chaplain, was the second person on the scene here. And let me set the scene. I ran through the doors of the lobby, and once I got to the driveway and parking lot, I saw a father next to a future mother, and the mother was on her knees on the asphalt with the doors wide open to her minivan, leaning on the passenger seat as she entered into labor. There was one other nurse out there leading her in breathing exercises, holding the hand of the woman, saying, the gurney's on the way. You'll be inside in no time. 
Seconds later, a fleet of nurses and OBGYNs come running out with the gurney, ready to haul this woman inside to safely deliver her baby. But before they could get her up, the woman boldly said, nope, it's happening now. And the nurses got into position. You know, I was told by my supervisor that oftentimes the chaplain's role is just to be a compassionate and calm presence. I'd sat through deaths. I had sat through unexpected and expected deaths, but nothing prepared me for this. As this woman on her knees painfully and beautifully pushed life into the world, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy. And throughout the whole ordeal, I think I can honestly say I was the least calm person there. But there, as this woman screamed and pushed life into the world in unideal circumstances, a healthy baby boy was born. And as they were getting everyone inside, cleaning up the mess, a nurse said something that I will never forget. The nurse, being grateful that the newborn did not have to experience the jolt of a cold or rainy evening, looking optimistically that the weather outside was actually pretty ideal for birth, said, thank God it's warm out tonight. Thank God it's warm out tonight. And we know warmth. We live in Columbia, South Carolina. Ability to tolerate muggy heat is like a fruit of the spirit here. (laughs) We know heat. Yet I want to preach about something that goes far beyond a story about the ideal weather during an unideal parking lot birth. It's not about silver linings or coincidence. It's about God's ability to meet us in our unideal circumstances, in our awful decisions, in our countless experiences of pain, and God still shows up to love us. It's about this miraculous thing we call Grace. And Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, challenges any preconceived notion surrounding grace, surrounding human reality and the ultimate truths in light of Jesus and his resurrection. For Paul and early Christians, the resurrection changed everything. As modern Christians, we cannot forget that truth. Jesus' victory over death drastically altered the entire world and how we live in it. And in what we read today, Paul works to create a new understanding of life, death, consequences, and grace. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we've been made alive together in Christ. Paul uses this metaphor of death, something that we are all familiar with, to dive deeper into the theological level where death is our tendency to mess up, to sin. And life, life is God's ability to reach out to us, to be in relationship with us, to love us no matter how messed up we are. And we can't talk about grace without talking about sin. 
It's a sticky word. And I grew up in a church where we didn't talk about sin. So this is new territory for me. But before anyone gets up to leave, just know that I left my fire and brimstone at home. Lutheran pastor and author Nadia Bowles-Weber was on a podcast trying to explain her understanding of sin. She talks about growing up in a very traditional church that taught her very strict rules about what sin was and what sin wasn't. Maybe this is your experience too. In her words, sin was anything I considered to be fun. Sin was dancing too close to someone or even swimming in the same pool of someone of the opposite gender. It was a rule-oriented understanding of how God wants us to live. And I'm not saying that rules aren't important, but I think it's more helpful when we understand sin in relation to grace as something more nuanced than simply breaking the rules. Her definition now is broader, saying that sin is humanity's tendency to mess things up. You get the point. Our tendency to mess things up. I like that definition. Because if you haven't messed up something this morning, then you're lying to yourself. I know I cut someone off on Gervais getting here. I probably used too much water showering this morning, and I probably forgot one of y'all's names. We mess things up. We mess up relationships. We mess up ourselves. But God still wants to know us. God wants to advocate for us. God wants to move within us and transform us. That's grace, y'all. Thank God it's warm outside. I grew up at White Memorial Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. In eighth grade, all the youth group would go through this process called confirmation. I help lead confirmation, and I see some of the people who participated in it last fall. Confirmation looks different in every church, but it's the point where people or youth accept the baptismal vows that their parents presented for them as children. And at my church, it meant I had to show up to a bunch of stuff. I had to memorize some scripture, meet with the pastor, talk to a mentor, go on a retreat, and I learned about Christianity and work to craft my own understanding of Christian faith. It's a lot of things to do for a middle school boy who is still struggling to remember to put on deodorant. But the conclusion of this process involved creating a personal statement of faith. And then we would read our individual faith statements to members of our session. This past year during downtown church confirmation, I read my faith statement. As they were crafting their own, I wanted them to be reminded that faith continues to grow and change. And I wanna read the first few sentences of my faith statement that I wrote in eighth grade. Brace yourselves. I said, I believe that my God knows all and can never be destroyed. I believe that Jesus died so I can have eternal, he or eternal life 
if I try to be Christ-like. And I believe that not all Christians go to heaven. You have to earn it. Basketball coach Jim Valvano once said, to know where you're going, you got to know where you are. And to know where you are, you got to know where you've been. And now what I just read for you, that's where I've been. Writing very bold claims and illegible chicken scratch that would make any reformed theology professor vomit. But my point is that in that moment, God the church, and all the people who love me, especially that session member who listened to these wild, ableist, exclusive words, they looked beyond my imperfect nature. They saw me as a child of God, a work in progress, and continued to nurture me and love me, and through their love, compassion, and wisdom have gotten to me where I am today. That's grace, y'all. That's God reaching out despite my constant tendency to mess things up. Thank God it's warm outside. And it wasn't just warm 12 years ago in that Sunday school room. And it certainly isn't just warm for me. The radical and truly challenging part about grace is that if we truly believe in it, then we have to believe that it applies to people other than ourselves. I sat across the table from a church member this week, and we disagree on a number of things. There's no denying it. It's one of the reasons I love downtown church. We disagree. And we argued. We listened, we vented, and we sat with each other, attempting to give each other the grace that God gives us. And I know this is the last thing that some of us want to hear because we love to win an argument. I love to win an argument. To come out on top to say, I told you so. But any of the lines in Ephesians where the English Bible has translated you, like you were dead, but you have been saved through grace. Well, in the Greek, these are plural pronouns. One of the reasons I take pride in my occasional Southern vocabulary is that it's inclusive. The author is saying, y'all have been saved. Y'all have been shown grace. And like those yard signs I see throughout the South, y'all means all. Grace is most significant and authentic when it is experienced in differing and diverse communities. Grace is not just grace for you. It's grace for the world. It's the grace that allows us to be with Christ and work to reconcile ourselves to one another. And don't you feel that that's what we need right now? I believe that as God reaches out to us, we are challenged to reach out to one another. The last verse reads, for we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life.
Grace is comforting, but this is where the challenge comes in, to be people of good works. It's like God knows that we as a society, as a community, as a church, we function better when we're not selfish, when we give one another grace, and when we empower one another, building people up rather than tearing them down. Thank God it's warm outside. And grace applies in the worst of circumstances. When everything seems to be going wrong, when the pain inside feels so overwhelming, when you're running late to the hospital to deliver a baby and are in pain without any medication. In the chaos, God breathes comfort. In situations of death, God creates opportunity for life. When everything feels so cold, God gives us warmth. Thank God it's warm outside. You certainly didn't wear a jacket to church today, maybe a rain jacket. But there is a deeper, a spiritual jacket that we cannot see. A barrier that we put on to try and protect us from the pain we feel and the shame that we are sometimes made to feel. When we wear these spiritual jackets, we ought to give thanks for the warmth outside. For the warmth of God, from the grace of God who calls us when we don't deserve it who beckons us to life when it is so much easier to dwell in death. Thank God it's warm outside. Thank God we have been created and redeemed by a God who reaches out to us in our flaws, who in the midst of our struggles creates opportunity for life and life abundantly, who by giving us grace empowers us to go and show it to others. Thank God it's warm outside. Red lights flashing on a highway I wonder if we're gonna ever get home I wonder if we're gonna ever get home tonight Everywhere the water's getting rough Your best intentions may not be enough I wonder if we're gonna ever get home tonight If you break down I'll drive out and find you If you forget my love I'll try to remind you 
taking communion uh, by these little cup things. Uh, I know it's not ideal, but it's what we are presented with. I once heard that the sacraments, communion, and baptism are visible signs of an invisible grace. And that's what they are. This table can never fully represent the way that God loves each and every single one of you. So if you don't have one of these uh, capsule things, please raise your hand and one of our elders will bring it to you. Friends, this is God's table. It's not downtown church, it's not mine or Charles, it's Christ's table. And Christ set the list of who's welcome and that's everybody, everybody. Whether it's your first time or your millionth time, whether you're in a really great mental state or you are crawling to the table out of exhaustion and pain, you are welcome here. Come, taste and drink and see that God is good. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. And lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Right. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Lord, we accept the invitation to be with you. Our hearts are lifted. We are truly thankful in our hearts and our minds. We pause to be in this place and in this moment with you, loving you and thanking you for loving us and for the grace that you've given us and for your son Jesus. We praise you, joining our voices with choirs of angels and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full 
Amen. Amen. Friends, on the night that Jesus would be betrayed, he gathered his group of friends, his ragtag group of disciples, and he gathered them for a meal. And he gave thanks, and he took the bread, and he broke it. And he looked around to each of them and said, this is my body, and it's broken for you, for all y'all. Whenever you eat of this, remember me. In the same way, he took a cup, and he picked up the wine, and he said, this wine represents the new covenant which is sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Whenever you drink from this cup, remember me. So as often as we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim the saving death of Jesus Christ until he comes again. Let us pray. God, we thank you for making room for us at this table, even with all our messiness. We thank you for making room for others at the table because all of us are others and we are all, we are y'all. We're reminded that all of us are a work in progress. Keep working with us, Lord. We all fall short, keep lifting us up, Lord. May the grace you give and show us not end with us, but flow through us to others. Remind us that grace is not an exclusive benefit for the privileged few. God's grace is inclusive and for all. Let us realize the transforming power of your grace. And now hear us as we pray together the words your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Thank God it's warm outside. Warm with the grace of a God who loves us when we don't deserve it. That's grace, y'all. Let us be challenged to go and show that to others. And as you go out, love God and love people. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds until we meet again. Go in peace.